future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is July 15th, 2022. Yes, we are back. Back from a two-week hiatus, summertime, family vacay. Yes, welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. This is, of course, Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I'm slowly kind of finding my way back <laughs> into the chair which feels really, to be honest with you, feels pretty damn good. Um, very happy to be back. Um, each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as 5 bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help out the show today by heading over to our YouTube channel, if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for the show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live, we are up to 210 subscriptions. I am totally freaking psyched. That's awesome. Um, been looking to break over that 200 subscriber mark for a bit, um, and I uh, want to just keep on building from there. Uh, we got an election season coming up. We're hoping that we're going to start bringing on some uh, candidates. We're going to start bringing on some campaign officials, start bringing on some organizers um, that are going to get us geared up for um, all the organizing that needs to happen between now and well let's face it after you know this past month between now and infinity <laughs> right um until we actually get to the other side of our revolution um want to say a special shout out to kirsten Alyssa, venting and bucks county beacon this morning for the shout outs uh help get the word out that we are back in the seat and want to remind you like nobody none of us right should let paul martino and his friends buy our schools that's right. Um, and we don't want them to be pushing extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, support local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmask the toxic organizations infecting, injecting, I'm sorry, infecting our communities with um, um, really this right-wing extremism. We're putting small dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. And uh, just a couple kind of updates on um, that uh, the Raging Chicken pack for this, uh, the Don't Let Paul Martino and Friends Buy Our Schools pack um, or Raging Chicken pack. Basically, we're um, for the remainder of the summer that we're going to bring on a couple people um, as a kind of team of uh let's say call it like political advisors or pack advisors right um basically to help us kind of uh, generate some ideas about what's going to be the best way to kind of um spend this money to be most impactful on the races coming up now um this is a uh 501c4 pack so which means that we will not be coordinating with any political candidates in particular uh, we are speaking from the voice of the progressive community and looking where we can find our um have an impact um We've said right from the get-go, and you can find this out at ragingchicken.levelfield.net, that our goal is not only 
to be um, directly supporting certain candidates or opposing certain candidates, but also to invest in helping build the infrastructure. In other words, you know, all that door knocking, that that deep canvassing, that um, the stuff that is proven to actually have impacts in communities, um, people on the ground, the stuff that generally the consultant class tends to ignore, but we know from our own experience here in Bucks County and across Pennsylvania, right, anybody who's doing kind of on the ground organizing knows those one-to-one -one conversations, that on-the-ground organizing um, in the communities is the money best spent. And so we want to help support some of those efforts too as well. Lots more information on that going to be coming up. We're going to be talking about it. Uh, we're probably going to do some stuff for our patrons, um, maybe having some of our um, advisors come on, maybe some of the organizations that we're hoping to support um, come on, and, um, and we'll be off and running. Well, on today's show, uh, look, we've got a lot to catch up to. And, uh, you know, in going over everything that has happened over the past couple of weeks, uh, there's no way that I'm just going to go through and run through a litany of things um, as much as, uh, you know, and I'll be frank with you, um, as part of my my vacation, um, I purposely, you know, tuned out uh, for a bit. I mean, of course, I mean, you know, anybody who's involved in, you know, pays attention to politics is never going to go away from it entirely. Uh, but in terms of with the kind of intensity that I have in my more reading and not thinking about how would we come back and talk about this on the show. Um, so today is really kind of a get back up and running stuff, looking at a couple things that um, are popping up, a um, couple things that we're looking forward to um, um, taking a look at. Um, we'll dive into some of the news of the week. Um, and go on from there. Uh, the chat is open today. Um, so if those folks who are kind of jumping in, if you got things that have uh, been happening, you got events you know that are coming up in the community, please make sure that you let me know um, and we'll give it a boost here on the show. We'll give it a boost in chat, uh, put it in show notes um, and help get the word out. That's something else that will be important, especially, look, if you want to know some another way that you can contribute as a member of this show um, or as not even as a member, but even as a listener of the show, as events are coming up, right, you know, just drop them in chat right even if you can't stay for the entire show you got something that's coming up you know that's going to be important you got a candidate that you want to plug um, you got some information that you want to um, that you want to share with the community um, just do let me know and drop it in chat and we'll kind of give it a boost here on the show the other thing I've been considering doing I've been I'm thinking about this for a bit now is um, is is uh, bringing on some of the kind of like um, some of the call-in aspects of the show too as well but we'll get to that in a little bit um, maybe today um, we'll see but anyways for more PA progressive talk uh, PA based progressive talk tune into the Rick Smith show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern the YouTube channel Twitter Facebook look Wherever you get your streams, you're going to find Rick. Um, that's for sure. You can su subscribe to his podcast um, wherever you get your podcast. Just head on over to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms and help support Rick's incredible, important show. Um, Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. You've been listening to it. Sure as I hope you have. Um, these folks right now um, deserve our support more than ever. Um, in the light of this little recent Supreme Court rulings, um, you got to make sure that you're going to get on head on over to the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. Um, you can find it on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And you know where their bodies are buried. And they're organizing in the communities now. So make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus and subscribe to their podcast. For all you gamers out there, The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, and loads of collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops. And kids get discounts with, you know, during the school year. 
and they do good in their they, they do good in school. How good is that? Fantastic. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at the Game In. You got a question about a game? Look for something hard to get. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at at the Game In or the Game In PA at gmail.com. That's the Game In PA at gmail.com. Special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song. There are no people in the future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at Song of Day Man. That's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. And look, everybody. We want, we want a progressive future. We need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches homegrown progressive media today by becoming a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Simply go to patreon.com slash rcpress. We got rid of Trump, and now the hard work of building progressive future begins. We are here for the fight, and we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media and the movement, the movement and the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Well, everybody, uh, welcome, welcome to the show once again. Um, we've got some announcements already right in. Uh, Kirsten is jumping in. Uh, I'm just going to read what she's got here. Perfect opportunity for folks who want to help out uh, Dems but aren't ready to canvas or phone bank. Uh, the Bucks County Democratic uh, Democratic Committee uh, needs some help building the thousands of Shapiro lawn signs that are that just arrived. Oh, great, great idea. Simple, straightforward piece of cake. Right. Um, the Bucks County Democratic Committee office is in Doylestown and all next week from 1030 a.m. to 430 p.m. They need folks to help put together lawn signs for distribution. Um, let's see. It's totally boring, she says, but it's a kind of task that we need volunteers to do. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to twist that a little bit on you, Kirsten. Um, I'm going to say the, the 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 act of putting the yard sign together itself. Yes, that is a little bit tedious. Right. You just put it together and it's kind of it's rote stuff. But the importance of these kind of events are twofold. One, yes, it's necessary work that needs to get done. But two, you're you're sitting there and have the opportunity to connect with and meet all these other folks that are also kind of contributing to the campaign. This, I'm telling you, you know, we had um, we've we've talked about this on the show so often, you know, and and I'm I, I'm I'm drawing a um, well, if you remember when we had Daisy Pitkin on, right? Daisy Pitkin was on the show and about her about her just amazing kind of uh, book. Right. Um, It was uh, I can't believe I'm spacing the name of the book right now. Hold on. Let me put it up. Daisy Pitkin. I'm sorry, Daisy, if you're listening, Um, (laughs) because uh, that was yeah on the line. Okay, okay, I had it right. I basically said it Um, on the line. uh, Story of class, solidarity and two women's epic fight to build a union. Um, as I've said a thousand times before, and I'll say it a thousand times again, um, the um, Daisy Pickens book is just an astounding book. It's um, it's the kind of book that doesn't come along um, very often, uh, written from an organizer in an honest assessment of kind of that experience of organizing. Um, and it's, it's beautiful, and it's tragic, and it's um, heartfelt and important. One of the cases that she makes... Um, in her book, another reason why you should read it um, is that Daisy says that a lot of times when people are thinking about organizing, they they, they kind of get it wrong, right? Um, especially when you get into kind of professional organizers and unions and things like this. And she's like, it's not that they, it's not that it's just wrong, wrong. But what, what happens is that when people think about the question of solidarity, Right. What builds those connections between people? 
is that it's very often the case, or it can be the case in, in many, say, union organizing campaigns or more broadly, right, that we think about solidarity as this kind of like this amorphous thing that is kind of like an ideology, right, in the realm of ideology, like because you identify with that worker out there, right, that kind of idea, this really amorphous sense of solidarity. What Daisy says is that solidarity is built through the kind of events that Kirsten just pointed us to. The, the daily, often repetitive, sometimes arduous, sometimes thankless task of actually organize, organization building, right? And building those connections and those things, right? She talks about these moments of having, having sitting in cars and waiting to kind of for workers to come out of the, um, you know, come out of their, uh, their shifts so they can talk to them or trying to track down um, going doing house calls and then, you know, nobody being there, nobody wanting to talk to them or um, missing the person again, right? These things that would be constitute failure in our kind of like efficiency driven ways of thinking about virtually everything in this country. But and those things, what Daisy would, I, I hopefully, I, I'm getting this, I would, she would echo this, that, you know, those things are not failures in the large scheme of things because they're part of your building those relationships with people and you're building that kind of collective experience, right? Um, and so it's not, if you're doing it all by yourself and all alone, yeah, that's a, one thing. But if you're doing it with people, um, and she, she was arguing too as well as, you know, sign making. Um, putting all these things together, um, you know, showing up even for the kind of small demonstrations where you're kind of getting out and you're kind of meeting people. Those things are, are is part of that um, process of building that solidarity. So, um, so while I get it, Kirsten, where you say it's totally boring, like the kind of task that gets boring, but um, it is absolutely essential. And I'm going to put another plug in for doing this this week. Um, I, I, one of the things that that has frustrated me too as well just as you know this is just kind of like as an individual trying to help support a candidate by putting a large yard sign on my lawn right <laughs> is that um very often it's incredibly difficult to find the yard signs i remember during the hillary clinton's campaign for example um it was practically scandalous in pennsylvania um, about how difficult it was to get a hold of um, Hillary Clinton um, yard signs and other supporting materials in Pennsylvania. Um, there were several organizers, some out in, in Pittsburgh, some up in the Lehigh Valley, some in just outside of Philadelphia, who eventually told their stories where um, because the the way that the top the way that the Clinton campaign operated from the top from the top down in Pennsylvania, um, they were using all these kind of analytics and data stuff and everything, and they thought that um, they had a lot of this stuff wrapped up, right? They thought that Pennsylvania um, they didn't need certain kinds of resources and they didn't need to build out their infrastructure and invest in local committee people. I remember talking to a, a woman who was down in uh, outside Philadelphia. Um, I want to say Montgomery County, but I I might I believe she was in Montgomery County, and she talked about how that she was the the, the head of that kind of district's campaign, right? That I mean, it might have been I don't know if it was Montgomery County, um, but she was like the point person, right? She was the point person on the Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, campaign's kind of sheet or whatever tree of organizers, and she could not get any space. She could barely get any volunteers allocated to it and she couldn't get yard signs. 
And so what she ended up doing is setting up a tent on her front lawn, right, and making their own, <laughs> right, um, for doing because they couldn't get a hold of this stuff. Um, and this was happening. And again, this is this was just one of these specific things. I mean, there was a lot about that about that you know that year's campaign. Obviously, not just the, everything that was going on made it big, big. But this was one of those things where that the idea of this kind of top-down analytics approach as opposed to the bottom-up approach. And there's always this perennial debate about whether or not yard signs mean anything, right? And I always think that the the question and the the assessment of their effectiveness, let me put it like that, is generally the way people talk about assessing the effectiveness of yard signs. They have it in the wrong way. Let me see if I could break this down um, for you a little bit. I was trying to explain this to some folks on some other campaigns. Um, this is a while back. This is during the last presidential election about why I thought yard signs were kind of important. Generally, the way people talk about yard signs is they think about them through the, through the realm of persuasion, right? That is, they ask the question, if you put yard signs on there, does it persuade somebody who's in the neighborhood or who's driving by or something like this? Does it persuade them to vote for that person? And I think it's pretty clear from most of the data and the evidence that, that when they try to answer that question, it's ambivalent, right? You just, you don't know, <laughs> right? I, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard it's hard. It's like, you know, figure out, does a billboard work, right? And you can have these kind of secondary or passive ways of kind of thinking about it or figuring out if they saw the sign and whether or not that, that kind of caused them to take an action and that kind of stuff. So there's, you know, there's people who suggest yes, and people suggest no, and so on. So that's one thing, right? Um, the second thing is, does it, um, does it, in, does it um, encourage voter turnout? Right. If you have those signs out there and again, it's the results are kind of ambiguous. Right. In part, because like, how do you exactly measure that? Whether a person was going to turn out or not. Right. You have to use these kind of like um, kind of, I don't know, like two or three questions removed way of getting your answer. You can't directly determine it. You can't get in somebody's like a subconscious brain to figure out if it works out. Anyways, so, but the, the way I've always come at this is, is kind of like this, is I live in, as you know, if you've been listening to the show, you know, I live in Bucks County, right? I live in an area that is, is particularly conservative, right? Um, where down the street from me, there's like this kind of like, you know, former horse farm um, run by kind of a big wig in the local Democratic Party. Um, and he's got this white fence that runs around his corner property, right? That's the corner of, of Callow Hill and Main Street or Branch Road, depending on which one you're looking at. And he's got this big white fence that goes all around his property, and he puts up those 8 by 10 sheet plywood signs, right, on the corner during election period, right? And now, you know, since Trump was elected, those signs have barely ever come down. Um, right now he's got like, you know, this house loves God or whatever. God is love or whatever the hell it is. Right. It's, it's like what the Mastriano's people are using to kind of try to divert attention away from the fact that he's an, he's, you know, a fascist. So anyways, so those signs go up, right. Um, routinely. And right now there's Mastriano signs. Mastriano signs have been out since February. Right. And just to give you a sense of some of the discussions that I've had with people in my community about those signs, 
is the impression it leaves is that this is a conservative area, right? That Democrats can't win here, right? That the right wing is like just dominates everything, okay? And that's just at the level of passive perception, right? If you ever play D&D, it's your passive perception, right? It's that kind of thing that, you know, it, you're not actively thinking about it. You're thinking about what's going on. So when you read that, and there's there. Now, what I found out, right, um, was that, you know, I was pretty surprised to learn at one point that there were quite a few Democrats in my area, <laughs> right? Even in my neighborhood, right? Um, I was looking at some you know, of these kind of maps of the area. And I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And then I realized at that point that, you know, someone like me, even like that, has these little hesitations or assumptions that I'm making about other people that are in my neighborhood. I'm thinking that they're all Trumpers, right? I mean, not actively, right? But I'm thinking there's a lot of them out there, right? And when I actually saw the data, I saw that, well, actually, it's kind of split. And there, and there might be a slightly Republican, but I'm looking at these maps of where, how people are registered. And there's like a lot of Democrats that I had no idea that were sitting in my neighborhood. Right. But the only signs I see are Mastriano signs or some other ones. Right. And so what this does, what the yard sign does. Right. Is it signals to other people in the community that they're not alone that maybe it's okay to talk about this, that maybe, hey, I didn't know you were a Democrat. I saw you supporting Shapiro. It's also an opportunity for a conversation, right? So whereas where a campaign is generally focused at this kind of top level analytics about, you know, dollars in spent versus output does, you know, translates to votes kind of thing, where I think a sign, yard signs are effective is in that what I was just talking about, that dynamic of breaking through the kinds of assumptions. And I, like I said, I was startled myself, both at the number of Democrats in my neighborhood and on the flip side of it, my own subconscious perception or assumptions about how conservative my neighbor was, my neighborhood was. You see what I'm saying? And so that's where I think these little things, these signals be, be, are really important. In a different vein, there's the well. I wouldn't go into that. So that's that's what I want to get on. And Ross says yes. Bingo, dead on. Yeah. I'm, I'm, well, I'm glad to hear that. Kind of that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh God. Um, Kirsten also says like you know these signs. There are some people who feel that they are throwing their vote away if they pick a candidate who does not have visible sign presence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. They're looking at. Look, we have all sorts of assumptions that we make in our brains, right, that are not that are not at, a, say, a, a strictly conscious level. Right. But there there are assumptions about the way that you know we exist in our culture and the way that politics work. Right. If I see that there's these there's this one side that has all these signs. Right. And I see there's no other signs for the other candidates. Right. There. It's easy to assume, again, at, at, a, at, a, at a, a less than fully conscious level, right? Just in terms of like, you know, again, passive perception kind of thing. It's easy to assume that those people with the signs are going to win, right? Regardless. And it might, might 
influence whether or not I'm going to, I think it's worth kind of getting out and voting on those particular days. Right. That's the, you know, we don't exactly where I think once again, I think what the most important part of it is, is it signals to to other people, right? It signals to other people that, Hey, you're not alone. And here's an opportunity for points of connection. And if that's a way that we could help build community, um, that's great. And you know, and, and frankly, I've been thinking a lot about this over, um, during my vacation. It was like, you know, for so long, um, it, it, you know, in parts because of where I work, you know, I work out at Kutztown and here it's an hour away. And right as soon as we moved to the community, we had kids, we didn't know anybody um, except for, you know, my wife's family. And, uh, and, and then we learned, we got lucky, we got had some really good neighbors. Um, but, it, you know, it, I was really slow to kind of get to know people here locally. And in part, you know, I was also at, very active in my union at that point, right? I was an elected member of our union. So I was, my focus was out at work, but it was like an hour away, right? Um, and, you know, it's at these points where my kids start getting involved in school and I start getting involved with what's happening in the community and start realizing, man, it's not easy to to meet folks, right? I mean, yeah, you can go to a kind of a bar and hang out, but I was like, you know, it's I don't know, <laughs> I just don't, you know, necessarily like. So either I go by myself, right? Because and then or we, my wife and I go and we hire a babysitter where we pay this extra money. You know what I mean? So it's like you know, we had young kids and doing all, that was all kind of going on, right? And. And plus, you know, then there's just added random kind of personal stuff. It's like, you know, I'm fine in an organized context and things like this. But, you know, I'm not like the best person in the world that goes out and kind of just kind of, you know, introducing myself and meeting people and and doing that kind of stuff. I mean, I know it might seem kind of counterintuitive given the fact that, you know, here I am in this freaking podcast and all this. Um, but it's true. Right. Um, but, you know, all those, those little things. Anyways, the whole point being is that in that context right kind of new to an area have kids don't really kind of know where to get involved and at that time i have to say that the local democratic club i was having trouble finding right um or different progressive organizations i couldn't find on either social media i remember emailing i used to get these emails from bedminster democrats right i don't know how i got on the list um, but i got on it and then I, I would try to email them back and then i i wouldn't hear and and uh, you know I, I, it was like that kind of thing. So I was like, I, I kind of felt I was floating out there, you know, I meet people here and there, but um, it is what it is, you know? And so now it's like, I just think about, imagine if during those periods of time, especially when, you know, I had yard signs up when we first moved because it was 2000, uh, it was 2008. And it was like, you know, during Obama's um, uh, election, I had yard signs. I put them up on my, um, I put them up on my yard. Um, they were taken and destroyed uh, multiple times. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, that's also formed a lot of my, my assumptions. Right. Um, and, you know, when, when election times would come around for school boards, I think nobody ever came to my door, you know? So I was like, you know, there's limited ways of, you know, finding folks. And then now, because in part, because, you know, new leadership has been kind of taking over Penridge Democrats, they're much more active. You had um, active school board campaigns and things like this. It's a lot easier to find those folks, right? Um, it's a lot easier to kind of get out and reach them. And Remarkably, yes, people are showing up at my door, knocking on my door, like campaigning for Gwen Stoltz, right? Campaigning for Shapiro. They're showing up on my door, right? It tells you that the people are kind of organizing and kind of on the ground, which is pretty, which is pretty awesome. Anyways, I got so far off where I was starting. So Kirsten, but I have to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
um, for bringing that up. Um, again, I want to reemphasize that for people who've joined um, kind of since the uh, beginning of the show, that the uh, uh, Bucks County Democratic Committees, their office is in Doylestown. And all this week from 10.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., they will be um, putting together signs for the, uh, for the Shapiro, um, Shapiro's lawn signs. Uh, they just arrived and they need um, volunteers to help out um, putting signs together. Um, and I'm going to see, and so Kirsten, if you just drop me, uh, all next week. Okay. So good, good, good. So that's Monday through Friday, I assume. Um, so I, I got, um, supposed to be rainy a couple of those days too, as well. So it's a good opportunity to, um, get with some other folks and do this. Um, sounds like a great opportunity for my kids and me to do it. So <laughs> sounds awesome. Um, fantastic. Um, so yeah, that was a really hopeful way of doing this. Um, uh, Chuck says, yeah, I tried for months to join the Penridge Dems before succeeding. It's gotten better, though. Yeah, that was exactly, Chuck, that was exactly my um, my experience initially when I came here. And again, I, you know, I want to be clear. I don't want to I don't want to sound down on local um, uh, local organizers, these small kind of localized committees and things is, you know, look, what's what's been clear to me is that, you know, the. The Democratic Party in Pennsylvania as a whole, and this goes for the Democratic Party writ, writ large, um, has not seen the importance of investing in kind of um, supporting, say, local chapters of places of, you know, they do not, th that's not the, the primary concern, right? They're much more concerned with this the analytics and this consultant class and this top down kind of way of kind of approaching things when what we need, of course, is that kind of bottom up stuff. So, you know, a lot of times what was happening, in my understanding, to uh, um, uh, in like the Penridge Democratic Club, for example, the Penridge Democrats and so on, is like one person right, who was trying to kind of put out like a, a newsletter or email list just so people kind of knew what was going on. Um, but it was very sporadic, right? And, you know, look, people have lives, right? And if you're, not, you're trying to help support a local um, chapter of the party, right, trying to create something, and you're not getting support from that organization, like I'm talking like monetary support, material support, like office support, things like that, then it's difficult, right? And if you're, you feel like you're alone and that kind of stuff, it's here. Now, again, this is kind of like the blessing in disguise, I guess, of what's happened with our school boards, is that our school boards have kind of, kind of forced to the, you know, um, to the, to the top, um, the, the issue of needing to organize, right? And there's just been spectacular organizing that's been going on. And like we've said on the show so often, um, is that what's happening in Bucks County is pretty much, the, you know, the model, right? Not that it's the only place that it's happening, but this is, this is the game plan um, that we're going to see rolling out. This is our testing grounds for uh, right-wing extremism, right? We're, we're seeing it firsthand. We got it early and we're getting it often, which has basically forced a lot of folks to kind of uh, step forward and kind of start organizing. And I'm so glad to have that in my community now where um, you know, people are out. And we had just right before uh, I left for vacation, there was a fantastic uh, rally, right, in Sellersville, right, right on the main street in Sellersville, right kind of across the street. For, well, actually, in the four corners where the uh, Washington house is, um, uh, kind of right in that area. And, you know, I said, OK, look, I'm going to go down there. You know, I posted some pictures. People may have seen them up on Facebook and uh, Twitter and so on. Um, and I want to go down there just to kind of like I, I want to be with people right at this time after the, you know, row was overturned. And I, I want to, you know, be part of it. I did not expect that many people to be there. You know, I expected there'd be, you know, a, 
you know, decent turnout given the, the gravity of it. But it was packed. I mean, you had the four corners were full, right? You had uh, Gwen Stoltz had come down, right? Uh, she gave a great speech. Um, it was there. Um, we had all the, we had Jim Miller came down, who was running in the uh, Pennsylvania 145th um, against Greg Statz. Uh, he came down and he talked there. Uh, you know, it was it, it was absolutely fantastic what we got in terms of turnout. And even more than to say the political candidates coming down, um, what was even more important, I thought at least, was having the community come out. And not only did the community come out, but you had you know representatives of the campaign show up with uh you know with yard signs so guess what i have an ashley ahas yard sign now <laughs> because people brought him to that rally right if people had not brought him to that rally and not thought about that at that rally um then i would not have that and i would be still thinking probably now after coming back for like, okay how do i get my hands on some of that stuff who do i contact who's gonna actually have them who's not gonna blow me off that kind of thing right uh, and I have to say, I have not put the yard sign out yet, in part because I went away for vacation and I didn't want it kind of um, taken while it was gone. Um, so there. Uh, Chuck says, yes, it's almost a truism that the GOP is, quote, so much better organized, unquote, than Dems. Do you think that's true? And what are the differences in local and state Republicans approach to organizing? It's a great question, Chuck. So, I, look, I think um, and this is kind of one of the things that I, I uh, we've talked about quite a bit over the years uh, with Raging Chicken, both on the podcast and before then on our site. Um, it, it has to do, I think, with. It was, there's several different things, right? Let, let me start with with like this venue that we're in right now in, in say, in media, right? W one of the things that the Republicans have understood for a long time is that you, it, you need to have spaces where you have consistent, consistent messaging, right? Where you're and messaging and kind of points of discussion, right? To help form a community of people um, in the kind of off season, if you will. Right. So in other words, where Democrats tend to be focused primarily on media leading up to an election, right, the Republicans and the right wing more broadly. And I would say probably what we're seeing here is evidence more of a more organized right wing rather than organized Republicans. The organized right wing in this country has understood that for kind of a long time. The Republicans have kind of played footsie with the extremists for a while. Um, and now now they're just one of the same. But um, the right wing in this country has been organized in terms of what it thought it needs to invest in, right? This goes back, you know, this goes all the way back to, um, you know, the post, you know, post-World War II, um, post-New Deal, New Deal era where, um, you know, you know, people like the Kochs, right? And people like, you know, um, these, you know, really rich folks, the libertarian folks who were really on the fringe of American politics, um, recognized that they had an unpopular message and that the country was going in an opposite direction and that they were going to need to dig in and build for the long term. Right. And that's what they did. Um, so like over the years, there was the Powell memo, for example, which has gotten, you know, I, it keeps on getting, getting brought to the surface again, which I'm very happy about Lewis Powell, who became a Supreme court justice, basically, um, before he became a Supreme court justice, laid this out to other kind of, um, say, you know, right wing kind of capitalist oriented folks, right. Basically said, here's what we need to do. The college campuses are a problem because they're teaching them to kind of think for themselves, basically, right. We're, we're seeing this in the art world. They're seeing it in the media world. They're seeing kind of more progressive that is not friendly to the kind of capitalist message. So therefore we need to kind of break that down. 
and we need to invest in these things. And they did, you know, whether or not you can look at this as the marching orders, right, or just a, an accurate kind of diagnostic, um, uh, a diagnosis of what they saw as the problem. What you saw in the Powell memo um, played itself out over the past 50 years. Right. So what the right wing, the people with money on the right began doing is investing in institutions. They started investing in um, they started buying up, for example, as FM started going up, they started buying up AM radio stations. Right. And putting them under one ownership. And then they would basically support right wing media. Right. Um, of course, you know, you, you know, you've had the um, Rush Limbaugh is the kind of classic, you know, person is here. But what the right wing would do is not try to just pick the one person to give money to, right? They would invest in and still do. They invest to say, okay, we want to we want to make sure that people that there's right wing people on TikTok, for example, right? So we're not going to kind of try to find the right person on TikTok. No, we're going to give money to a whole bunch of people, and a lot of that money is going to go to go to people that it will that will not be successful, right? But if we give money to 25 people, right, and support their platforms, and we end up with five, right, when it kind of in the in a year after it clears itself out, that's money well spent, because now we got five people who are on our hook that are going to push that message. Right. And they did this, they built their their media at the top level, and they built their media at the local level. They also invested in putting money into organizations in communities that they found important, like churches. Right. So, you know, you had all this kind of organization that was going in. They they understood the need to build infrastructure for the long haul. And they knew that it was not going to pay dividends immediately. Right. Milton Friedman, for example, who was the, uh, you know, Chicago uh, school economist who basically authored the kind of neoliberal, you know, model for uh, limited government and free reign capitalism, right? The idea that you kind of defund the public state, you defund the public and they shifted all the privatization. The whole idea that the market solves things better than the government, that's all Milton Friedman stuff coming out of his book, Capitalism and Freedom and that whole school of economics. Um, they understood at the time, Capitalism Freedom is a great read, by the way. Um, it'll, 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 you know, it's a hard read in some ways if you're looking for something that's just going to confirm your reality because it won't. Um, it, it, but it shows you it was the model which they were thinking way back then. One of the things that, that Milton Friedman understood was that um, if you have a public that is against your message, that your message is unpopular, right? What you have to do is that you have to invest, you have to get everything in place, right? So that when a crisis hits, right, it's those people with the we call the ideas lying around who had the ideas to respond to that that we're going to be able to come in and and help you know solve that problem so there's a national disaster right people are kind of all kind of like up in there the schools are wrecked and all that kind of stuff what does it mean well if you have a ready-made package of people are going to come in with a proposed solution and say oh look there's no money in the government because you've effectively helped kind of preach the anti-tax kind of line of things there's no money in the government so what are we going to do ah here's this privatization scheme and this is how it will work we could privatize the schools we could do x y and z right and they did that right they also learned that you don't need to wait for a disaster Right. They learned that you can create them. And how do you do that? Well, if you take just say, for example, the, the DMV, right, you know, the, the you know, the um, motor vehicles, right, where you go there. If you can defund that, right, defund that organization, 
right? You can kind of, um, so that there's fewer and fewer people employed there, right? And you let their computers kind of get old, right? And you don't approve um, updating of those computers. What happens? Well, the systems start to break down. The lines get longer. People get more frustrated and they direct their ire at the DMV. Because that's clearly an institution that is shows that government is bad. It can't do anything right. It's inefficient when really it's been defunded. That's what they've been trying to do to the post office for the last 20 years. Well, let's say really 15 years in, in, in particular. Right. So that was the whole idea. And then then you have, well, what are we going to do? We got, we're sick of standing in lines at the post office. What do we do? And then, ah, these people, these ideas lying around and their institutions to show you. Here's our studies that show you that we can privatize the post office and we could do this. We could privatize the DMV. And we could do this or we can outsource these functions to this company. Right. And then people start saying, well, maybe we should try this because clearly this is not working. Right. That's that's the way you create the crisis. Right? That's what's happened in the state system of higher education, right? Where I work, right? You look at all the charts, right? You know, we went from, in 1983, went from about 65% of the state system of higher education was funded by taxpayer expenditures, right? People pay their taxes and went in there and that supported this stuff that anybody could attend this. And so it only cost to like a family, you know, a family, uh, a person attending another family would only cost them about, say, 25%. There were some other things that were kind of funneled in there. Right now, 75% of the cost is borne by students and their families, where only about 25% is borne by the state, right? Or our taxpayer dollars, because we've been convinced, and I use we lightly here, we've been convinced as a state that it's more beneficial to kind of like, you know, keep our money in our pockets and get the government out of our pockets, right? Taxes are bad. So we defund the state system of higher education. And what just happened to the state system of higher education? Well, they shut down basically, well, they, they consolidated like six schools into two, right? We've been in a state of perpetual kind of like lack of um, investment in our programs, constant cutbacks, constant kind of like uh, retrenchments, right? And that's, you can see it coming. And it's a choice. It's not an act of nature. It was a, a systematic choice over the years by the Republican Party and a well-funded right-wing intellectual and media infrastructure, right? So that's a very, very long answer to that first part of it, Chuck. I'm sorry. The rest, so, but it all follows from that, from that kind of mentality, right? Is like, is that what, if you actually talk to some of the Republic, Republicans and Democrats don't run their campaigns, right? In terms of like the campaign infrastructure, all that much differently. The difference is, is that somehow um, in, in the right wing, which has a hold of the Republican Party now, right? They know, right, that they feel at least that, well, they, let me put it this way. They have an ideological clarity that the Democratic Party does not have, right? The right wing in, or well, the right wing slash GOP, right, um, has that kind of clarity. And so they see, right, their campaign as a cultural battle, right? And a cultural battle does not stop, it doesn't stop with an election cycle, right? They are in what is essentially an organize, like an organizing cycle, right? Where everything that happens is another opportunity to kind of push their message at all these different levels, right? And they have some big funders. So what happens at that? What happens with their funding is that they say we're going to dump a bunch of money into yard signs, right? And we already have the distribution network set, 
right? So we don't have to do like what Kirsten does, right? You kind of say, okay, look, we're looking to bring people together. People already know, right? And not just the people just on the inside, right? The distribution network know yard signs are coming in. They're hearing about it in their churches. They're hearing about it in their organizations. They're hearing about it in their newsletters that they get, right? And they're flooded with messaging about when all this stuff is coming up, right? And they're well-funded. Those signs come in, people already geared up to get together to do this, right? To talk about their candidates, to talk about we're going to take stuff back, right? They're charged up. They don't care that it's a meaningless task because they're, this is part of their organizing, right? It's built into what you're seeing on the right wing. And you have multiple locations, right? We have, for example, Andy Meehan's organization, Right for Bucks, right? Right for Bucks, as, as um, um, Amy Connect has reported, as she's kind of attended one of their um, online kind of uh, events, uh, they are actively teaching everybody. People are showing up to their events and they're actively teaching them how do you get involved with local politics? How do you take back, how do you run for these open Republican committee seats? How do we take back the, or, or how do we take over the Bucks County Republican Party, right? How do you run for local office? Right. Um, let me train you in how to gather signatures. Right. They're already doing this in that. Right. And this is an organization that is not a Republican organization. This is an independent organization run by Andy Meehan. And Andy Meehan, what does he have? Lots of money. Right. The same thing happens with Paul Martino. Right. Paul Martino can drive a conversation. Right. One person, one billionaire, millionaire, whatever he is, um, could drive a conversation and drive an agenda by sinking tons of money into the organizing efforts behind it. Right. And that has an effect in the Republican Party. What's happening, interestingly enough, I think I, I believe and this 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 uh, you can certainly argue with me about this. Um, I believe what is essentially happened happening to the official Republican Party is something that had happened to uh, that the Democratic Party kind of did actively kind of some decades ago. And what has happened is essentially. The Republicans, and this comes from talking to some of some Bucks County Republicans that I know that have been who've worked at their kind of kind of more upper levels, is that they thought for the longest time that people like Andy Meehan, people like Paul Martino, people like this, um, you know, they they need to keep them close because they have money, right? Um, but their more extreme stuff, they were just going to kind of ignore and let them do their own thing because they thought they were extremists, right? And in the meantime, what Andy Meehan started doing and some of these other organizations started doing is they started training the ground troops, right? The, the door knockers, the organizations that were going to go and they're volunteering to show up for those candidates, right? And he trains, trains them well, right? And that organization is growing, has, has started to kind of self-perpetuate, right? There's a group of folks on the right wing and the extreme that are kind of organized door knockers where the, the Republican Party in Bucks County has basically said, oh, look, well, we don't need to quite invest as much time into kind of doing the door knocking because, look, Andy Meehan is doing it for free. So I'll just let him do it. Right. It's just kind of like, oh, it's being done already. We don't need to worry about it. So we're going to take care of it. Or right, So we let him take care of it. But now that's caused a problem because you eventually you've you've contracted out part of your party's organization. Right. And that's happened across the Republican Party, you know, kind of nationwide, too. They said, oh, look at these extremists. Like we were going to keep a distance from them, but we're going to let them do all the kind of work and rile everybody up. Right. And now they're on the inside. Right. The extremists are on the inside. There's something like what, 20, 20 something proud boys that are running for office this year, for example, on Republican Party um, ticket, not in Pennsylvania, but nationwide. That's something. Right. 
And so now what was happening during the last election or kind of toward, like after the first year or something, I remember talking to this one this one person for the Republican, um, um, Bucks County Republicans who was saying, said, yeah, this is bad. This is bad for our party. Um, and uh, I don't know what we're going to do. It's going to either split it or um, they're going to they're going to push out all the moderates and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I'm like, well, what is what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know. So people seem to just want to let it go. And I think what you can see is happening in the Bucks County Republican Party is actually um, they've actually started to embrace the more extreme stuff. Right. Um, the stop the steal stuff. Put that over the um, put that over the edge and said, OK, we're just going to have to throw in with the Trump crowd. Um, so we'll see. Democrats, on the other hand, um, they started doing and there's there's a lot of complex reasons for this. There's this book that just came out that I'm waiting to um, read um, that is going to talk that breaks down something is the, the cycles of what happened in the Democratic Party. But the, the version of it is that what if you think about it like this, especially as the Republican Party, Republican Party becomes more ideologically like like an ideological monoculture. Right. Um, there's. You're, if you're, you're part of that brand, right, that white identity brand, right, then you're you've got your you've got your playbook. Right. On the other side of stuff, right, in a democracy. Right. People just don't have one of two positions on things. Right. So the Democratic Party has has been the default position for everyone else. <laughs> right. At least, you know, not the super, super extremists. Right. Not on the on the, the right wing that are not there are anti-Republican Party, too, as well. But anyone who's kind of on the, you know, the kind of the pro kind of we are democracy thing. There's, we have a complex culture. We have a complex, you know, um, kind of social, you know, social framework. Right. That is driven in bar a large part by free market capitalism, which produces all sorts of kind of like inequities and abuses and exploitations. Um, and you have, of course, the long histories of, of legacies of slavery, right, of, of patriarchy in this country um, that have produced all these kind of, you know, things that are not in the status quo, that are people struggling to kind of um, um are struggling to get together. And so, so the Democratic Party has kind of seen itself sort of over the years uh, as a place where um, it was going to try to bring these things together, right? And one of the things that they did is there is they broke with um, the labor movement, right? I mean, they said, you know, the labor movement used to be a strong core of the Democratic Party. Um, it, not just in terms of like people who are Democrats, but rather in terms of determining policy, right? And in the 60s into the 70s, they started breaking away from that. Right. And so they said, no, we're also going to be, you know, there's some of this anti-labor stuff that started sneaking into the Democratic Party, too, as well. Anyways, but what the Democratic Party did, instead of basically saying as a party, we are going to try to bring everyone together and try to develop an agenda. Right. That deals with a range of all this difficult stuff. Right. Instead of doing that. What they did was contracted out issues to different organizations, right? So they said, okay, instead of basically saying, let's argue these things out, they said, okay, NAACP, you're going to do race, right? <coughs> We're going to have this organization, these, you know, these several women's organizations are going to handle this kind of stuff. You know, these organizations are going to handle the unions are just another kind of identity politics that are going around there. So all that stuff is going on at the same time. 
And the, the core of the Democratic Party, especially during the, about the 1990s into the 2000s, becomes, from my view at least, hollowed out of any kind of ideological coherency. Right. So instead, it becomes this really this technocratic and bureaucratic organization that is about kind of like maintaining a majority or trying to get people elected. But in an in a kind of like almost get elected in, a, in something that's devoid of ideology. So it makes it very difficult to have a message that is consistent about what is a Democrat. Right. What does a Democrat stand for? Right. And a lot of times people today will say, well, they're supposed to stand for. Right. Because that's one of the groups that they hear <clears throat> or they're supposed to do this or they're supposed to do this. And right now we're seeing because of what's happened with the loss of um, the right to an abortion in this country. We're seeing that old leadership, the Biden administration, the Nancy Pelosi's, the you know, all these people who have been at the leadership of the Democratic Party during that period of hollowing out. What they found, what they found that has happened is now they don't have a coherent response. I mean, Kamala Harris got up and said, like, well, we're going to really work hard to find what we could do. I mean, it's like, where's the freaking outrage? Where's the outrage? I mean, I get it that we're at a point now that it's too freaking late. The Supreme Court has already overturned that. So now we've got to rebuild all over again when it comes to kind of the right to an abortion in this country. But the point is, is that the Democrats, if you had an ideological core that you were a defender of abortion, abortion rights, Right. If you had that, if you were a clear commitment, it's a no brainer in terms of how you respond to this. It's and like and if you see it coming, like in February or whatever it was, February or January, they dropped the draft of the Supreme Court stuff. If that's a surprise to you and it shouldn't have been. But if it was a surprise to you, you would have come up with about 17 different scenarios about what you will do. And how you will act. And when the actual decision dropped boom 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 you lay you let them all come out boom abortion clinics on on federal land and people were like oh we don't know if we can do that no you just do the freaking thing you do it and you let the the court come back and say no you can't do that and you show it again you demonstrate the illegitimacy of that organization that's what you do right You do everything. I mean, the fact that they're still talking about trying to figure out what they're able to do for almost three weeks after the decision is insane. The same thing happened, same thing after the murder of George Floyd. Right? After the murder of George Floyd, clearly, it's clear what you need to do. Police are out of control. You need to kind of stop what, let's see. We're going to cut off all military surplus, um, military surplus equipment going to police departments, number one, right? Number two, you are going to deny federal funding to help support any kind of police thing that has you know, any any police department that is uh, um, that has a record of this kind of kind of racial misconduct. Number two, right? I mean, I mean, you could, one after the other could have come out. Right. And yes, I understand during then the, the they that wasn't the president at that point, but any kind of Democratic leader at that point should have been come out. Instead, what do they do? Oh, <coughs> we like the police. We need the uh, correct training. And we don't. It doesn't respond to the crisis at hand. 
by trying to act like, oh, we got to figure out what we can do and maybe we should do these things. No, it's, they ruled out these kind of wishy-washy, bland talking points from the 1990s that was really the, a part of what built up the, um, built up the, um, the crisis, that built up the kind of policing crisis in here, right? So that's my point. It's like, instead they said, okay, we're just going to be these kind of like, um, we're going to see get, you know, some some ways that we can just kind of uh, uh, try to keep a quote unquote coalition together um, by saying all these wishy-washy things, right? And their language became more and more devoid of meaning. And, the, and I hate to say this, but the Obama administration basically made this like official. <clears throat> the Obama administration, if you ever read any accounts of it, it's just been, it's really fascinating, especially for when you're talking about what happened to all these groups. The Obama administration basically put together this, this, um, this way of bringing activist organizations together as a whole. And it looked like the beginning of what could have been a coalition for his government, right? A really, really strong coalition, like in terms of like policy people and all this kind of stuff. But after the election, Right. He actually had and, you know, part of this had to do with his the people that he had in the White House had to do with uh, what's this? Uh, can't, I try to purge this guy's name out of my head all the time. The dude from Chicago. I'll come back to me. But um, basically to say, OK, now we're going to we, we do We don't want these groups to have any undue influence on, on Obama's thing. So we're going to basically cut them out of the policymaking. You did a, you did your job. You got us elected. Now go home. And they literally cut them out of the process. Yeah, Rahm Emanuel. Thank you, Kirsten. <coughs> That's what they did, right? So that was kind of like you know the completion of that hollowing out. So not only are we going to out, we're going to we're going to contract out all the major ideological and policy work to these organizations. Now we're going to actually cut them out of the decision making process, and we're going to rely upon one charismatic individual and people around him who are the kind of technocrats to try to solve this this problem because they're the smartest people in the room. That was in air quotes for those people who are listening on our podcast. So <clears throat> that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of what I think uh, um, is going on. Uh, Chuck, I'm sorry about that. You say you kept on getting kicked out of the live stream. Um, I'm not sure what the what that's about. <clears throat> um, it's not me doing it. I can tell you that. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but he says, I think door knocking is huge and we ought to look at mutual aid uh, events and actions that build affinity with with the party. I agree. And I think that, you know, and I think that at this point, um, the idea of doing it from a kind of pers progressive perspective, that is um, not necessarily um, doesn't have to be 100 percent with the party. Right. And I, I'm not saying it's against the party, but I'm saying these are kind of these like you know, affiliated um, kind of groups within there. If the party is willing to do it, that's one thing. Um, but my concern right now, until we see a, a really significant shift in the Democratic Party or people a meeting of the minds, even at the local um, 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 at the local level, when they kind of start to say, OK, yes, we need to, we need to agree upon this particular agenda. Um, it's good, you know, to have this, you know, consider this a kind of an opening up a, a broader progressive community, because you think about it, progressives um, are generally the activists that are kind of going to show up again and again and again. And so we need to have these spaces, uh, especially at a local level, where um, they're not being kind of cast out by these kind of quote official Democrats, right? Because um, the official Democratic Party um, loves to beat up on progressives. 
Um, and they'll be like, I mean, how many times we need to hear Nancy Pelosi say um, that we need a strong Republican Party and go out and basically campaign to have a strong Republican Party? Well, in the next breath, she's basically uh, like attacking Ilhan Omar for kind of like saying that Israel cr created war crimes, right? I mean, come on. I mean, this is just like, we have to remember that. Yeah, <clears throat> agreed, agreed. <clears throat> I'm just trying to see if I can catch up here on anything that I missed here. Uh, Ross also says, been out door knocking for the school board regions in April, May, and June. And now for uh, for Gwen, I'm talking to many unhappy Republicans, several who are no longer voting Republicans, but every um, e um, even, one is, even one is switching. We're going to see how that plays out, right? Um, there's been some interesting data that's been that uh, the majority report was talking about, I think, last week where they were, were asking people and there's dissatisfied Republicans, Republicans that are kind of like really upset with it. But when you push the question about um, if Donald Trump was just for, as an example, was Donald Trump was going was going to run again here, would you vote for him? The vast majority of times they're voting yes. So you're talking again only on the extreme margins that you're going to see this. We are going to see some of this. And I think, Ross, you're onto this is that you're absolutely you're absolutely correct that um, we can have probably a greater impact on that on a local level too as well, because you're actually having conversations one-on-one -on -one with people, right? So there you go. Um, <clears throat> wow, this has been great. I really appreciate everyone kind of jumping in on the chat today. This is, this is fantastic. I mean, um, <clears throat> I was I had some stuff keyed up here that, you know, I don't even necessarily need to get into. I know people have been talking about some, a lot of stuff been going on with the budget. Um, the budget got passed. It was only a week late um, this year. And to say only a week late as a, as a, as a positive thing is kind of funny, but uh, better a good budget than no budget or better a good budget than a bad budget that's on time. Um, so <clears throat> I could really care less about the on timeness of it. I care more about what's actually in it. Um, one of the things that I thought was, I just wanted to be clear is that now during this budget season, a lot of there's, um, I've just been so much going on. But I want to underscore one reason why it is absolutely critical um, that we do not allow uh, Doug Mastriano uh, to become the governor of this state. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why, right? Like, I mean, from do we give a shit about democracy, right? Do we want a kind of a religious zealot, right? A, a, a Christian nationalist to kind of be at the head of our state, right? No. Do we want kind of to watch abortions be kind of uh, eliminated from uh, from uh from Pennsylvania entirely? No. Right. Um, so here, but, and he, I just want to give you kind of clear, but it's bigger than, bigger than these things. Right. So while, you know, Friday, I guess it was last week, right. Uh, last week, um, uh, Wolf signed the, uh, it's a $45 billion budget, um, and associated bills with, uh, language and creating new programs for education, mental health, public safety, tax relief, along with spending $2 billion in federal aid for water and sewer projects and affordable housing and home repair. Um, by the way, I'm reading that from, uh, Peter Hall's excellent article in the Pennsylvania capital, capital star. Um, so just, just so you know, I'm really here. What I really, what I really wanted to kind of like highlight this piece a little bit here is because, uh, what he did is what he did. He said, "Okay, in addition to signing that budget, right, which got a front play, there there were some key veto vetoes that he did, right." So it says, "Wolf has since vetoed four Republican-backed bills and signed at least five bills that were closely watched in the days before the budget process." What his that one what the governor's office did, one 
The Senate voted 30 to 20 last month to approve a bill banning transgender girls and women from girls and women's um, scholastic sports, despite Wolf's promise to veto it. It passed it, right? Wolf vetoed it, right? Wolf said in legislation, he said in his veto message, said the legislation discriminated against a vulnerable group of students already susceptible to bullying and depression who are at risk for suicide. Even if it were enacted, the legislation would have far le uh, have faced legal challenges for violating federal law and constitutional guarantees of equal protection. Right. And he said the LGBTQ plus community in Pennsylvania and around the country, and especially our transgender and non-binary youth and young people, I see you, I support you, I respect you, and I stand with you. Wolf wrote in that message. That's that's critical. All right. So one, if Mastriano, let's be clear, Mastriano was there, that would have had any Republican, frankly, who was in office for governor would have signed that bill. Second one, this one was I, I was deeply concerning to me um, because this is something that actually this had, had happened during the last election cycles and now is going to be codified the, on poll watchers. Senator Doug Mastriano of Franklin County, the Republican nominee for governor, introduced legislation to allow registered voters to serve as poll watchers anywhere in the Commonwealth rather than in the in the county where they are registered, as the law currently requires. So in other words. You could basically have a core group of people that are well-funded, say, in one particular part of the thing, and they go out and have a team of people that are going to be poll watchers, um, and, they are, and they are basically poll-watching mercenaries, right, that are going to um, do this. The House State Government Committee chairperson, Seth Grove, advanced the bill on June 22nd, said poll watchers serve as checks and balances on the election system, and that giving candidates more access to the polls was a good thing. Right. Wolf said in his veto message that the bill would make it possible for bad faith partisan actors to target specific locations and groups of people to make baseless challenges to voter qualifications, making it harder and slower for election officials to do their jobs. That is the issue. What had happened during previous elections now, we started to see the resurgence of this. And there was there were some great stories and coverage of this stuff. They started going after they're setting basically these white, you know, right wing militia folks into primarily black precincts in Philadelphia and some other places to intimidate voters, to threaten them, to sit there. Sometimes they'd show up with their AR-15s, right? You know, shit like that. And so that's what they were trying to codify into law. Mastriano and those who were trying to codify into law the ability to do that, right? Wolf vetoed it. About energy sources, Senator Gene Law of Lycoming, whose district covers a wide swath of Marcellus Shell country, introduced legislation to prohibit municipalities from restricting the types of sources of energies that consumers may use for their homes and businesses. <coughs> this is a climate issue, right? The climate issue is basically saying that you say, look, in my area, right, because we saw this, right, some of the ways that communities were fighting back. We actually had a um, we had some discussion about this, about the rights for nature um that um you know uh, we had uh, talked about this on the show for kind of a while ago and we talked about some communities that are enacting these kind of like home rule charters they're basically saying we get to decide what happens in here and there's going to be no fracking allowed in our community right and essentially the same kind of thing to say no coal burning fuel no coal burning um sourced energy is allowed um, in these homes. So if you as an energy company, you want to supply energy to this, you want to pay customers in our district, you are going to need to, um, you can't, you can't have coal, right? And so this bill 
and Yaw, Gene Yaw, who's the chairperson of the Senate Environmental Resources and Energy Committee, was hilarious. Um, that he put that bill Monday, this past Monday, uh, Wolf vetoed that bill, saying it would create an impediment for municipalities to address the threat of climate change and stand in the way of energy incentives and, and initiatives. Which, let's be clear, the local and the statewide stuff is all that much more critical now that we have um, basically like you know, King Mansion, who's basically blocking all. This is one of the stories I had keyed up for today. Mansion just basically walked away from talks about climate stuff, basically say he's not signing on to anything. Um, we are in dire straits when it comes to the climate here. And this is like a, the, one of the few stopgap measures that we can actually kind of deal with is on the state and the municipal level. Um, and Gene Yaw's legislation would try to take that away. Home health care. Wolf vetoed a piece of budget-enabling legislation known as the Human Services Code Bill because it included language that would have prevented the Department of Human Services from contracting with vendors to provide financial management and payroll services for home health care providers. He approved the remainder of the language after it was amended, blah, 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 right? <clears throat> Again, another little small thing. He vetoed that, basically saying that would have... Uh, prevented the Department of Human Services from contracting with vendors to provide financial management and payroll services from home health care providers. Zuckerbucks. I love this one. <clears throat> Wolf signed legislation on Monday banning county boards of elections from soliciting or accepting money from elections administrations from individuals and outside organizations. It also creates an election integrity program, a grant that will provide aid to counties to conduct elections. There's a bunch of other stuff. Passed some stuff on, on bridge tolls and stuff. There's a bunch of stuff in here. He passed something on affordable housing, signed it, um, education funding and so on. <clears throat> Those are the ones that <clears throat> were signed and stuff like that. Um, the reason why I want to point to the veto vetoes, because like that's it. Right. And we already know that if Mastriano gets elected, that we're going to see kind of um, abortion bans legislation that's going to be coming forth in Pennsylvania. The only stopgap that we have on that is to ensure that we get a Democrat in the House. Um, Josh Shapiro um, has come out strongly in defense of women's right to an abortion. Um, you know, again, we've sat on this show multiple times. When Sean was on the show, we talk about this a lot. Um, <clears throat> We've got, you know, significant issues with uh, Shapiro in terms of its politics and things like this. But let's look. Look, one, uh, he has promises or he's actually, you know, one, he's going to defend some of the key things that are going to be defensible uh, that we need defended at this point. Number two, um, he seems to be willing to take up partisan fights when necessary, which is absolutely critical. And number three, he's got a political organization, ideally. Right. Although I've my his campaign is really shaking some of my. Uh, confidence in uh his team of advisors but um uh th that that's all going to be critical uh, taken to the governor's office um at the very least mastriano would be an absolute utter disaster right we have the opportunity to have somebody in that office that we can push right that we can work for that we can push to be kind of more progressive or we could be on a completely defensive kind of like you know feudalistic struggle against um our feudal lord <clears throat> doug mastriano those are our choices at this point in my mind so that was key uh kirsten just said it's a heads up notice indivisible national has some ads in the intelligencer and the courier coming up next week about fitzpatrick's awful abortion record can't wait to see the ads me too <coughs> that's not a pun just i i'm also <laughs> looking forward to that um pretty awesome I don't know what's going on with that. That's not good. Um, okay, let's see what else. If I had another thing I want to throw in before we uh, head out for the day. Oh. 
the mansion stuff. Uh, I do. I I got this. Uh, I want to flag this. This is something that. Um, where where did it go? Uh, let me pull this up here. This was, if you remember, we had uh, Sarah uh, Aniano on the show uh, a few weeks back. And uh, she had sent this out um, earlier today. And, I, you know, again, why it becomes critical to be um, involved locally. So this is a story that comes out of Iowa um, from in it is Ty Rushing's article from the Iowa starting line. So what's happening with the Vinton Public Library? Now, I, look, I know you <clears throat> don't expect you, you don't need to get out a map to figure this one out. But just listen to the first opening paragraphs of this. And this is the key thing. Um, residents of a small Iowa town criticized their library's LGBTQ staff and their displaying of LGBTQ related books until most of the staff quit. Now the, times the town's library is closed for this foreseeable future. After having the same library director for 32 years, the Vinton Public Library can't seem to keep the position filled anymore. Since summer of 2021, the Vinton Public Library has gone through two permanent directors and an interim director who has served that role twice. Located about 40 miles north northwest of Cedar Rapids, the doors of the Vinton Public Library, housed in a brick and stone Carnegie, have been open to the public since 1904, but were shuttered on Friday, July 8th, while the Vinton Library Board tries to sort out staffing issues seemingly brought on by local dalliances with national culture wars. All right. It comes from after a hand. This is the key. A, a handful of locals whipped up a controversy first over the library displaying books about per prominent Democrats and later about it displaying LGBTQ books and having LGBTQ people on staff. Attacks on LGBTQ books um, and people and those from other marginalized communities have been part of a nationwide trend marked by homophobic right wing activists stoking fears by trying to lump those materials in with pedophilia and left wing indoctrination. All right. So <clears throat> this is kind of what we got going on. Right. What we've got going on right here is um, I'm going to try to keep on going here. There we go. I'm sorry if you heard a little blip on this. It looks like there was a, a little uh, network issue on my end. It seemed, we seem to be back. But basically what the issue is um, when it comes to what's happening at the um, in Iowa, this we've seen this already and I, we actually previewed this on the show earlier in the summer that libraries seem to be another one of these places what they're going to go after and are kind of attacked and again it's it's got several things going on one is we can enable the culture work number two it's a public institution which they can try to kind of um take this away um yes cyril i agree with you cyril just jumped in what's up cyril said so this is what fascism looks like so i agree to you 100 percent um this is what we can expect to be happening in our local communities too as well um, and the way to go back to our discussion earlier in the show today, this is the way the right works, right? Is that they'll, they will test things out also in these kind of local areas and uh, in these small locales, right? And they will kind of, and, do, and then they pass it on, right? Sometimes it originates from some think tank. Sometimes it originates kind of in one place and they decide to share with each other and they start to say, yes, this is where we're going to go for our next line of attack. They are always organizing. They're always on. They're always looking for the next level of attack, which is where we're going to have to be kind of moving forward. Anyways. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I had. The, the only other thing that I said, just to prove that there's a, you know, a, they can get stuff done when they want to get stuff done. Well, Politico reported, um, uh, a couple days ago that the house of representatives actually, uh, found a, an amazing, you know, a, 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 a passed a major piece of legislation, 
Um, and it seemed to, uh, you know, looks like it may be moving forward. It was uh, part of a bipartisan amendment, right, to show you that bipartisanship, too, can work. Yes, I'll just read this is um, from Politico. Um, the House on Wednesday voted to create a secure government system for reporting UFOs. Yes, that's right. For reporting UFOs and compel current and formal officials to reveal what they might know about the mysterious phenomenon by promising to protect them from reprisal. The bipartisan amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act passed by a voice vote without debate is part of an aggressive effort to exert more oversight over an enduring intelligence gathering challenge that has gained more attention in recent years. It was proposed by Representatives Mike Gallagher, uh, Republican of Wisconsin, and Ruben Gallego, Democrat of Arizona, who've been among the vocal bipartisan block of lawmakers pressing the Pentagon and intelligence officials to take the issue more seriously and to be more transparent with Congress and the American people. Yes, everybody, we can now expect access to information about reporting UFOs. Yes. So there you have it. See, there is hope. Anyways, everybody, I'm going to call it at that point. Um, I really appreciate everybody for coming out today. Uh, I love the discussion. Thank you so much for um, your comments and your questions in chat today. Uh, it was great going back and forth and hearing what's going on. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be a good time for me to uh, check out as I seem to be having some network issues on my end too as well. Hopefully I'm going to get those straightened out in the um, in the days to come. Um, also I should say one more thing about show notes. Um, my daughter's, I mentioned this earlier, my daughter's soccer, the summer soccer stuff is over. So what I'm going to start doing is transitioning back into yay, Monday night out to coop live. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, I've already had like four, I swear to God over vacation. I have like four people contact me and say, Hey, we'd love to come on the show. Hey, we'd love to come on the show. And I'm like, I'm on vacation. Um, but that's great news for us, right? So kind of moving forward, we're going to be able to go back to our Monday nights. Um, I hope to be able to kind of start addressing. I have a bunch of outline, uh, uh, outstanding stuff that I need to kind of get done for Raging Chicken. Um, and so I look hope to be putting some attention into that in the coming um, days and weeks and months. So for all of you out there who've been fighting the good fight while well, I've been kind of away, kind of like uh, you know, just basically wave jumping on the oceans, right? <laughs> the ocean side. Um uh, I appreciate all the work that you all have been doing, um, and uh, I hope that I can be able to do what I can uh, to amplify the work that's going on out there, and we have lots more, lots more to come. So, everybody, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Thanks for tuning in to me on this welcome back um, to our Friday Politics Roundup. I'll look forward to hearing more of what's happening in your community. I want to remind everybody once again uh, what Kirsten um, pointed us to at the very beginning of the show. If you're looking for a really nice, easy opportunity um, to uh, benefit, um, you know, organization efforts towards this uh, this election coming up, this midterm election, um, you can head on over to the Bucks County Democratic Committee office, which is in Doylestown, all next week from 10.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Um, they will be assembling lawn signs for uh, Josh Shapiro for governor. Uh, thousands of them just arrived in the building and they need some volunteers to help put them together. Um, you can just show up, say, hey, look, I'll put some stuff together. Great opportunity to meet some folks. Great opportunity to help um, make sure that those lawn signs um, don't just sit in a floor for ages, but actually get out to um, the lawns all across our county. 
All right. So everybody, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Thanks for tuning in again. And uh, hopefully I'll keep you updated about what we're going to do on Monday. Um, we'll be back to our regular schedule as much as possible for the remainder of the summer. Um, look forward to kind of hearing everything that's going on, joining you in the streets and joining you in the organization efforts. Um, I appreciate all of you. Thanks for the shout outs. Thanks for the retweets. Um, and thanks for being part of this community. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. We're out of here. <laughs> I think. If this is going to play, there's no music playing. I have no idea why that's happening. Let me try this again, huh? This is, this is the kind of the way things end. This is how it ends, right? No oh, look at that. For a reason, it was not playing live, but it'll hear. We're going to start it again. How about that? All right, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Richie Chicken. <laughs> Always stumbling my way back into everything. Uh, we're out here, everybody. For seeing ya. Love y'all. See ya! Make sure my people come.